Hello, this is Pastor Nate Ward with Open Door Church, and I wanted to take a moment to welcome you to our podcast. It's my personal prayer that you would be encouraged and encountered by the Holy Spirit and challenged by His Word. May the Lord bless you and stir faith as you listen to this week's message. How many of you guys partied really hard on New Year's Eve? Woo. I, I, I want to know, honesty here, how many of you guys actually stayed up till midnight to ring in the new year? Whoa. Now, how many of you, are, were, was that by design or you just couldn't sleep? Okay. <laughs> the mamas. <laughs> I think Kelly and I were in bed like at 8.30. I made some really good clam chowder. It was delicious. We had Kelsey and Tyler over it, and then we went to bed. <laughs> My New Year's Eve rocked, just saying. But with that, you know, today marks our first service of the new year, right? And so not just a new year, a new decade. How crazy is that? Like, does anybody remember what happened the past 10 years? Did they fly by for anybody else? That was pretty quick, pretty intense. I had a lot of things happen in the last 10 years, right? I moved to Pagosa. I met my wife. I got married, started having kids, like bought a Jeep. I had to throw that one in there. Bought three Jeeps. Uh, <laughs> but God is good, amen, right? But at the, at the beginning of the new year, we have these things called New Year's resolutions, right? Did anybody here make a New Year's resolution this year? Or have you guys just all given up? No, nobody made a New Year's resolution? Not a single person? I'm glad. John made a New Year's resolution. But uh, there's these things that, I mean, we've, we've heard of them. We've seen them. Most of us have kind of fallen into maybe the, the thought process of if I've not done it now, I'm never going to do it. So just forget about it, right? Um, but there's still some hopeful, like, youthful zeal in some people, like John, that they're going to make a resolution and they're going to stick with it. And so I looked up what the top 10 New Year's resolutions are. Um, I got this from Time Magazine, so I don't know how trustworthy of a source that is, but these were the top 10 that people submitted um, in terms of 2020 New Year's resolutions. I feel like some of them kind of overlap, but whatever. The first one is to lose weight, right? That was probably where everybody's mind jumps to. Second one is to quit smoking. Third one caught me off guard, but was to learn something new, uh, like an instrument or a language. Uh, to eat healthier, I feel like that and the first one kind of go hand in hand. I think it's hard to lose weight without eating healthier, but whatever. Um, to get out of debt and save money, I would love to do that. Um, I'd also like to just make more money, but whatever. Uh, to spend more time with family. You know, these are, these are good things, right? To travel, I want that. And then, then this one kind of struck me off guard, to be less stressed. That's a... That's, that's a good thing, but I, I just don't know how you determine to do that. Does anybody ever just wake up in the morning and say, you know what, I'm going to be less stressed today. And if that's worked for you, please let me know. Like, that, that has not worked for me, right? To volunteer at church um, and drink. <laughs> and drink less. <laughs> those, are, those are some pretty good New Year's resolutions, right? But did you know that 10%... Or not even 10%, less than 10% of New Year's resolutions see it out of the month of January. That's, cr- that's why I stopped making them. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever actually made a New Year's, New Year's resolution. 
Uh, this year, my New Year's resolution is to smoke more meat. Uh, so <laughs> somebody's going to take that as a soundbite from our podcast, and they're just going to, they're going to end that, and it's just going to be, Pastor Nate's New Year's resolution is to smoke more. <laughs> what? <laughs> you all know when I first moved here, there was a rumor going around that I was the pot-smoking pastor, and then Adam came from Pueblo to help me out as in the youth ministry, and for a long time, we were struggling with this notion of we had to debunk this myth that we were smoking pot and, like, selling it to students. I've never touched the stuff in my life. I had longer hair back then. Maybe that, maybe that was it. I, I don't know. I had hair back then. There we go. <laughs> but, right? So less than 10% of resolutions people make see it through the month of January. And uh, for the ones that do make it through the first three, three weeks of the year, they make it past that first, like, three weeks, we see um, the likelihood of them establishing lasting and healthy uh, changes skyrocket. The, the numbers are crazy when you get to that. Um, but believe it or not, there was a time where I went to the gym pretty faithfully. Um, two times in my life. One, when I was in ministry school. Because when I was in ministry school, unlike Tyler, we had gym memberships. Oh, you did? Was it the year after you? Okay, the year after Tyler. We had gym memberships, and part of our requirement of uh, being in the school was that we had to go work out for an hour every day before we went to the prayer meeting. And so we had an hour of prayer, and then you had to go to the gym, and then you had another hour of prayer, or, or four hours of prayer. Um, and so <laughs> it was awesome, but I remember getting up at like 5 a.m. every morning, and Pueblo got stupid cold sometimes. And uh, we'd have to like start up our car, we'd go into the gym, and we'd be like, why are we doing this? We're all in our gym shorts, too, because we, we get dressed for the gym, and it's freezing. And we go to the YMCA, and every time around January, we would see this huge spike in people coming to the gym. And it would last maybe a week or two. <laughs> and you couldn't, take, you couldn't find a shower in the morning. You'd have people that you're like, oh, I don't want to talk to you. you the, the workout equipment. Like, because to be honest, I wasn't hardcore into the gym at that time. I'd go find like the, the pansy machine and like just sit there and try to waste an hour. <laughs> we, got, we got in trouble our first year because we weren't working out hard enough. We were going to the gym, but we weren't actually doing anything. I remember one time being so tired that the five of us sat down on the floor in the gym and we just rolled a basketball back and forth to each other because we were, we were brain dead. That didn't last uh, once Pastor Jimmy found out about that. But anyway, the, the moral of the story was if you've ever had a gym membership or if you've ever gone to the gym, you've seen this kind of pattern, right? You know what I'm talking about when I'm talking about resolutions. People start off strong, but they don't have the tenacity, they don't have the consistency to see it through, and it never establishes lasting change. Now, for some people it does. For the few, that less than 10%, awesome, and we're, 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 all, we're, like, we're stoked about that. But for a lot of people, because there's no consistency, because there's nothing established, we see these New Year's resolutions kind of taper off. And you see, making physical changes and establishing healthy habits, it's difficult, right? That's why not all of us are running around with like six packs and, you know, eating kale 24-7, right? One, donuts taste good. <laughs> Two, I like to not I like to breathe, so I don't run all the time. <laughs> um, <laughs> 
all those things. And so a natural, natural recourse of that is you look like me, which is, yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> can I tell you that, right, making these changes, we know that it's difficult. We know that it's hard. But the same is true spiritually. My prayer, friends, for us going into this new year is that we would resolve within ourselves to look more like Jesus. My prayer is that, you know, we would, we would intentionally look at how we spend our time. And, I, and my, my prayer is that you'd make like a good old-fashioned New Year's resolution to say, you know what, I'm going to spend more time with Jesus today. I'm going to spend more time with Jesus in 2020 than I did in 2019. I'm going to spend more time prioritizing the gospel in my life than I did the year before. And so what does that look like? Man, thanks for being in church today. Man, I want you guys to be here. I want us to embrace what the, writers of, what the writer of Hebrew told us, that we wouldn't neglect the gathering of the saints like is the habit of some, right? I want us to be together as a corporate body of Christ. I want us to have consistent daily times where we're reading and studying the Bible. That's why I love our deeper projects because that's what they're geared around. I'm excited for those to stop up. I'm excited that we would have consistent times in personal prayer and intercession. That is my prayer that we would establish these healthy habits, establish these New Year's resolutions in our walk with God. And so with that being said, uh, I have some, I have an interesting passage of scripture that I want to jump to this morning. You see, I know I didn't preach a Christmas message at Christmas time. Uh, I was caught up in the life of David, and we might return there. I'm just being sensitive to the Lord, but today we're going to look at the birth of Jesus. I realize I'm a couple weeks late for that, but uh, I'm glad you guys are gracious towards me and you're tracking. And so would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 2? I'm not really apologizing for anything because I preached what God told me to preach, but I just thought it was interesting that, you know, now he'll give me a message on the birth of Jesus. But two weeks ago, he wouldn't give me anything. So, um Maybe Jesus was born in January. Who knows? Just kidding. Well, anyway, we're not going down that road. <laughs> Matthew chapter 2, right? So Matthew chapter 2 begins uh, with these three wise men, right? We three kings of Orient are, right? That one? Who, does anybody have that as a favorite Christmas song? Okay, good, because we were, we were about to call you out because that's weird. Um, but it's a Christmas song, right? <laughs> so these... Uh, these three wise men, um, they're commissioned by the wicked king Herod. They're following the bright shining star to Bethlehem where they want to worship the child Jesus, right? They show up with like an entourage, of like uh, frankincense, gold, and myrrh. Those are weird gifts for, uh, for a baby, right? <laughs> Has anybody seen the comic that went around? It was after the three wise men showed up. There was the three wise women that showed up with like diapers, formula, and like a manicure or something like that. I don't remember what the third one was. It's pretty funny, right? <laughs> Three wise men show up with these gifts, and they're warned in a dream by God not to go back to Herod. Because Herod's big kind of manipulation here was to use the wise men to find out where Jesus was. And he said to the wise men, hey, come back and tell me where he is because I want to go worship him too. But really Herod's agenda was he wanted to take Jesus out of the picture. He wanted to annihilate this promised Messiah because he was threatened by him. 
right? He understood that if Jesus ever kind of started a following or anything like that, that meant it was the end of his rule as king, and he wanted none of that, right? (laughs) So we go on and we pick up the story in verse 13. It says here, After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee with the child um, to Egypt with the child and his mother. The angel said, Stay there until I tell you to return, because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. That night Joseph left Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet, I called my son out of Egypt. 16. Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. Herod's brutal action fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A cry was heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning. Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted, for they are dead. I want to read verse 16 to you again. It says, Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. Herod takes some pretty drastic action here, right? Kills all the young boys two years old and under. Maybe this is why the Lord didn't let me preach this on Christmas time. But I want you to track with me for a moment. I don't know if you remember back in Exodus 1, but we encounter a similar scenario when Moses, the promised deliverer of the people of Israel, is born. Pharaoh kills all the children two and under, right? All the boys. Here again, we're seeing this pattern play out in the New Testament. And I I wrote this, that Herod was drastic in his attempt to kill Jesus in his infancy because he feared that Jesus might cause trouble for him if he were to ever reach maturity. Right? We see this pattern. And I I want you to track with me because I believe this principle is still alive and true today in the enemy's arsenal. That the enemy is hell-bent on destroying the work of God in its infancy because he knows the detriment it will bring to his kingdom when it reaches maturity. You can expect to see heightened spiritual opposition whenever God is doing a new thing and whenever you're attempting to make changes that benefit your spiritual life. God wants to kill the work. God, the enemy wants to kill the work of God in your life in its infancy because he knows when there's uh, some steps towards maturity and there's some steps towards consistency and there's steps towards uh, growing up in the Lord that it's going to be far harder to derail you as you lay down some roots. It's this idea of a tree, right? Have any of you ever planted a tree before? Trees are kind of temperamental things when you first plant them, right? They take a lot of care. They take a lot of nurturing. They take a lot of protection and guarding to see them take root and establish themselves as a, as a tree, right? <laughs> I have killed multiple trees trying to plant them and then just thinking, you know what? They're trees. They're good. 
They're hardy. I've seen them. They grow big and strong, but they don't start off that way. They take some nurturing. They take some, some, somebody that can actually like make something grow. That's not me. I touch things and they die. But <laughs> I'm talking about like plants, Tyler, not like people. <laughs> I just don't care about plants. I don't see the purpose of them. Anyway, right? You guys tracking with me though? <laughs> I believe that this is true for us in our, in our infancy when it comes to the Lord, when we're establishing spiritual consistency in our life, that the enemy is hell-bent on trying to stop us from developing healthy patterns, from making wise decisions, because he knows if he can stop us in the beginning, it's going to be a lot easier for him than if we ever establish some consistency in the future. And I think that this principle plays out. You see, we have a real enemy. We have a real devil that actually wants to see you fail. I think we kind of chalk up the devil sometimes to this imaginary thing, or we look at ourselves. Maybe God was just being like figurative, and really we are the devil, and it's our flesh. No, there's a real devil, friends. And he really wants to see you fail. And he really has a plan for your life, and it's to see it unravel. And that's why Peter tells us that we should be sober, that we should be vigilant. <laughs> vigilant. <laughs> vigilant? What is that? Vigilant. <laughs> Hate to break it to you, Adam and Shelby. I still make up words all the time. I've made up like six this morning, and I have had to keep track of my own. But to be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, roars, uh, walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You need to be reminded that the plan of the enemy for your life is to devour it. <laughs> hmm. So why am I saying all this? Because I believe what God wants to establish in this new year, what he wants to do in your life, what he wants to do in this church, what he wants to do in this community, that in its infancy, at the beginning stages, when God starts to stir our hearts, when God starts to pour out his spirit, in the beginning, we need to be extra guarded. I believe we need to be extra aware of the working and the tactic of the enemy because he wants for nothing more than to see us fail and see us discouraged. And I believe it's, I believe it's not without merit to think of when we're starting to do something that the Lord wants to do, when we're, when, we're, um, when we're engaged in the will of the Lord, that opposition will come. Friends, you should expect opposition if you're trying to live holy. You should expect for the enemy to tempt you with an easy way out. Because that's what he wants for you, friends. That's what he wants for you and I. And I believe that in infancy... In the beginning stages of God doing something, we need to be guarded. We need to be intentional. But moreover than that, I really felt like I received something from the Lord that I think is so important to seeing the work of God in infancy come to maturity. What I want to talk about this morning is spiritual fathers. I believe there is a necessity for us in this day, especially within the church, to see spiritual fathers raised up that are willing to guard what God's doing in infancy so that it has an opportunity to reach maturity. 
You see, when I was reading Matthew chapter 2, beginning even back in Matthew chapter 1, I was just, I was kind of enamored with this guy, Joseph, right? We don't really get a lot about Joseph in Scripture. We know that he's a just man. Uh, it says that he was righteous, that he was godly, that he didn't, want to, he didn't want to divorce Mary publicly to cause her ridicule when he found out that she was pregnant. But one of the things that we learn is that he ha- God had his ear. Consistently and again and again, we see the Lord coming to Joseph, him hearing God, and immediately responding to what God spoke. And, as, and in this, I was, I was just moved by the Holy Spirit to ask, God, would you make me like Joseph? I want to be like Joseph, that you can have my ear, that you can speak to me, and my response would be immediate. You see, God entrusted Joseph here with the most important plan of redemption in all of history, with baby Jesus, right? And he was able to find a man in whom he could trust um, with the plan of salvation for all mankind. What if, what if, track with me for a moment, Joseph didn't get up from his sleep and didn't flee to Egypt, right? <laughs> and Herod came in and just killed Jesus. I, that, that didn't happen. God wasn't. But we see that not happening because a man was sensitive to the Lord in a place where he heard what God said and immediately acted upon it. You see, Jesus, um, Joseph, wasn't Jesus' actual father, right? You guys are tracking with me that? We understand that? Like, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Um, some people, like, kind of view G- Joseph as, like, Jesus' like, glorified stepdad or something like that. I don't, I don't embrace that. I believe Jesus probably called Joseph dad. You know, like, <laughs> he was the father figure in the home. He was... Jesus' father in that sense, but I just, I think it's so immediate, I just think it's so interesting when we look at Joseph, we see that he had a relationship with God in which he listened to what the Lord was saying and immediately act upon it. I wrote this, that the work of God in its infancy was protected and cultivated by a man who had a dream from God. I believe the work that God wants to do in this hour is going to be directly correlated to the willingness of righteous men and women who are willing to be inconvenienced to cultivate what God is doing. Friends, I want to talk about spiritual fathers. And if you're you're a woman in this room, I don't want you to disconnect from what I'm saying. I believe that there is a role for, for men and women in this hour to be sensitive to what the Lord is doing, to listen to what he's speaking, and um, really see a cultivation of what God's doing and it's going to be imperative that we're all on board. And so, um, my first point, I guess, I don't, yeah, I guess you could call this a point, is that the church is a family, and it's in need of fathers. You know, it's not a, I don't have to kind of drum up any statistics for you today. I read all kinds of statistics all over the board about the epidemic of fatherlessness in our culture. Um, guys, we have a problem, right? <laughs> uh, Kelly and I, her classroom last year, we, we, we walked through it, and when I, I made a statement that only two of the kids out of like 27, right? 18, I can't, 18 
last year. I'm, I'm making numbers up. Only two of the kids had both parents in the home. Like, that's not, that's not California. That's not like some crazy place. That's, that's here. That's Pagosa Springs. That's our backyard. And I think by the end of the year, only one, right? Yeah, so I made that, I made that statement prematurely. And that, I mean, that's, that's craziness, right? <laughs> to think about that. And I, so it's, it's, no, it's no crazy kind of stretch for us to say that there's, a, there's an epidemic of fatherlessness within homes, within culture in general. I'm, I can attest to that. You know, I grew up, both of my parents were together, but my parents were drug addicts. <laughs> my parents were heroin addicts. So like, I, I didn't have a healthy set of, a, like, and a healthy example to look to. They're not the ones that led me to Jesus. But I'm thankful that I had men and women of God that, were, that spoke strongly into my life that I could look to as spiritual parents. That I could look to as those that had a voice of influence and modeled what Jesus was supposed to look like to me. And I believe before God's going to entrust us with a moving of his spirit in which we see the lost saved in numbers... He wants to prepare us with a willingness in our hearts to be inconvenienced, to be willing to be spiritual fathers and mothers to those that are hurting and those that are new to faith. Does that make sense? You guys are hearing me on this? Mm. You see, the sad reality is that much of the church in our culture today is organized and run like a corporation rather than a family. Right? We, uh, pastors exist to make sure the bills are paid and programs are running effectively, right? That's why a lot of, a lot of churches, they pick a pastor based on the fact, well, can you get people to show up? Like, can we get the tithes up and the offerings up so we can pay the bills, so we can do more stuff, so we can get more people in, so we can pat ourselves on the back and feel validated, right? Right? I I hate to say that, but that's, That's the truth for a vast majority of the church today. You see, people are treated like commodities. They're used and discarded to accomplish a particular agenda. And I want you to be, I want you to know, friends, I think it was about a month and a half ago that the Holy Spirit started stirring in my heart, started really, really arresting me with this notion that I didn't come here to make sure that this church was successful. Friends, I didn't, I didn't sign up. I didn't, I didn't sign up with my family to be the pastor of this church to make sure that we got the bills paid, to make sure that we ran a smooth ship, to make sure things were all steady to go ahead into whoever comes after me. Friends, the reason why I said yes to being the pastor of this church was I believe that God had something specific in mind for this congregation and for this community in terms of revival. Friends, I'm still saying yes, and I still have hope and faith for God to move because I believe that he wants to see a community transformed by the power of the gospel, by demonstrations of his spirit, and to see the lost come home. I could care less if our budget was in the black. (laughs) I mean... We're, we're thankful that God has been good to us and we do make wise decisions with money and we're thankful for that, for our little church and he's blessed us. But friends, that is not my priority. I need you to know that. And, and 
God, he speaks to me and he tells me when to make those kind of things a priority. I'm not trying to say there's no room for that, but friends, I believe that God has something bigger in store for our church than just kind of hanging on and getting by. Does that make sense to you, friends? Hmm. You see, when the bride of Jesus, when the body of Christ becomes a business, we relegate the holy bride of Christ to that of a prostitute. Can I tell you that the church, the ministry of the gospel is not for sale and our message is not something to be bartered with. I mean, think about it, right? What happens when a body gets put up for sale? It's the equivalent of prostitution, right? I believe that that's been the sad reality for a lot of the church today. If you want to know how the Lord feels about that, it's all throughout this book, but... The church is a family, and it's in need of fathers. Not somebody to delegate them or treat them like a commodity or view them as a number. But I believe as the church of God grows, I believe as Open Door Church sees, uh, sees people added to our family, <laughs> I use that word strategically, that's not like some kind of Hobby Lobby saying that we could just throw up, like, hey, we're your family. That's a that's a Christianese church thing to say, right? We're the family of God, but we don't actually act like a family. We don't see each other throughout the week. We could give a rip of what's really going on in our brothers and sisters' life. Friends, if the only time you see uh, the family of God is on a Sunday morning, you're doing church wrong. Just, just saying. That's not the model that's laid forth in Scripture. We were not intended to do this thing alone. That's why I want to encourage you guys to get involved in a deeper project. Get involved in what God's doing in prayer. Because if, you, if this is the amount of fellowship that you have with other believers is on a Sunday morning, friends, you aren't going to make it. I'm not trying to be scary. I'm not trying to be drastic. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I care about you, and I want to see you succeed. And we need each other to do that. The church is a family and it's in need of fathers. I want you to, I want you to hear what Paul wrote to the Corinthian church when he was addressing um, some issues that were taking place. They wanted, the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 wanted to disassociate themselves with Paul who founded the church in Corinth because he was living life in a radically different way than they thought it should be lived. They thought the Christian life should have been uh, just blessing and financial favor and it was supposed to make life easy for them. And they looked at Paul as an example who was living in hardship was living without a lot of money, and they called him foolish, right? They said, we don't want to be like Paul. Look at that guy. He's crazy. And so Paul, Paul's rebuttal and his response to them is this. In 14, he says, I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Listen to with the way that he carries himself with these words. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ or teachers in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I have sent to you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus. 
which agrees with what I teach everywhere and in every church. Some of you have become arrogant as if I were not coming to you, but I will come to you very soon if the Lord is willing, and then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. What do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a rod of discipline, or shall I come in love and with a gentle spirit? Friend, this truth this truth has marked me, and you have to understand this, that a spiritual father, Paul is a perfect example of what a spiritual father looks like. He has a different bottom line than a CEO does, right? You see, a spiritual father places a high value on relationship, and he looks at people as if they're, their, as if they're his own children. Guys, I want you to succeed. Hear me out on this. Like, I want you to love Jesus. I want you guys to, like, passionately pursue him. I want to be able to say, like, in 50 years that, man, look at those people. They ran the race well. Boom. That's awesome. I'm in your corner. Like, I'm a cheerleader for you guys. But can I tell you, when I look at my son and I pray for him at night, man, I want him to succeed so much more than I care about you. And I care about you guys a lot. I do. But there, the, when, I, when I think, when I hold my son and I'm praying, God, would you encounter him? I pray for him every single evening that God would encounter him, that he would grow to love him all the days of his life. And I'm going to do everything in my power, everything, to make every provision for him to succeed in everything that he can do. I will be radically inconvenienced so that he has an opportunity to go places I, I'll never dream of. But that's the same mentality that God asks for us to have for his bride. Friends, and there's not very many people like that. Can I tell you, the church is rare on fathers, is rare on mothers that are willing to be inconvenienced to see others succeed to care about them tenderly like a father or a mother cares about their own child. But that's how God the Father sees his bride. That's how he sees you and I. He wants to succeed. Mm, oh. I, could, I need to be careful before I go off on this tangent. Friends, we need spiritual fathers and mothers that want to see us succeed, that are willing to pay a heavy price. It's not easy. It's not easy to carry that kind of burden. I wrote, I, I, I keep using this word inconvenienced. It would have been a lot easier, right, for Joseph to say, oh, Mary, you're pregnant. Okay. I'm hands off, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm going to go find somebody else and my life's going to be simple. I'm going to make some money. I'm not going to have to live on the run. Like, like, just uproot my life every time an angel comes and tells me something, right? <laughs> but, but I look at Joseph. He has a willingness to raise this child as his own, <laughs> to love him as his own, and to guard what God was doing in infancy, right? Hmm. Friends, I want to see bunch of people not just come to know Jesus not just come to relationship with him and stop there and say a prayer I want to see disciples made and I believe for that to happen 
we need spiritual fathers and mothers to cultivate what God's going to begin to do in infancy here. Does that make sense? Hmm. So what does a spiritual father or a mother do? How do they do it? Right? I'm saying that there's a need. I'm not now hear me, because you could you could take what Paul's saying here and like you could say, you know what, I led somebody to Jesus. I am their spiritual father now. And somehow lord over them that you're like you're taking credit for them and you're <laughs> like you're in charge of their every like leading and you're claiming like apostolic authority over their life, saying who they're going to marry and all that stuff. Don't get weird on me here, okay? Can we just make a, can you guys track with me? We're not, we're not getting into that kind of weird stuff because this could be twisted and taken out of context. We good there? So what does a spiritual father do and how do they do it? I want to read from Paul again, this time in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. He says, you yourselves, beginning in verse 10, you yourselves are our witnesses and so is God that we were devout and honest and faultless toward all of you believers. And you know that we treated each of you as a father treats his own children. We pleaded with you. We encouraged you. We urged you to live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy. For he called you to share in his kingdom and glory. I just wrote down four quick things. Very simple, quick bullet points that I believe a spiritual father, what a spiritual parent does for, um, does for their children, does for those that are um, either new to faith or growing in their faith. I believe that a spiritual father warns his children of danger. Right? This is what he says, that they pleaded with you, encouraged you, and urged them. I believe that there's a warning that comes from spiritual fathers. And, uh, you know, as a pastor, as a, as a spiritual father myself, I, I don't take that title lightly, but, you know, I have oftentimes had teenagers, I've had many of you guys, and I've had, to, I've had to warn you about certain patterns that I've seen. You remember last week I talked about the importance of uh, embracing rebuke well? Right, we looked at David, and we looked at we looked at uh, we looked at Nathan, the prophet Nathan, coming against him uh, with a rebuke from the Lord, and how he embraced repentance. But we needed to understand that a rebuke is actually a good thing. It's that God's hand is working in our life, and that we had to we had to find ourselves, and we had to submit ourselves to men of God that we could trust, men and women of God that had a voice from heaven that could see things that maybe we couldn't. Again, I want to continue. I believe that we need spiritual fathers and mothers in our lives that can look at our lives and when see when things are wrong, that they can warn us about them because most of the time we're ignorant to our own patterns and behaviors, are we not? I know that I am. You know, that's why Daniel McLean, I tell him all the time, guy, if you see something in my life that doesn't line up, I want you to call it out, right? <laughs> I want you to have keys to my life because I want to live consistently and faithfully for Jesus all the days of my life. I talked, about, I talked about last week how I had Pastor Jamie and Pastor Josh as men of God in my life that were willing to call out the junk and the mess that I was in, and I'm better for it today. 
We need to be like David and embrace the rebuke of the Lord. We need to be like David and say that uh, the rebuke of a righteous man is like oil poured on our head. That's a good thing to have. And our culture says, no, you know what, don't touch me, right? Our culture says, you know what, I have some dignity. Don't cross some certain lines. But the word of the Lord gives us instruction that we need men and women of God who are wiser than us, that have spent more time with Jesus than us, that are a little bit holier than thou, to see patterns and inconsistencies in our life and call us to a higher standard. I need that for me. Because if I'm the standard, oh, dear God, we're, we're all doomed. <laughs> right? <laughs> you guys can say amen to that. <laughs> we need people that are constantly pushing us and challenging us. And a spiritual father does just that. They warn their children. And so surround yourself with people. Get around people that you know hear from God, that are trustworthy that are willing to call out patterns and inconsistencies and sin in your life and warn you of its destruction. Warn you of unhealthy habits and actually listen to them. That's, a, that's an important deal on your part. But we need spiritual fathers, fathers that are willing to do that. And we need to give permission to people to father us. We need to give permission to people to have a voice in our life to call that junk out. Because our culture has so, so kind of put up walls and barriers that it's not okay to tell somebody that they're wrong. <laughs> I would encourage you, um, find somebody, give them permission, because encourage that and foster it. Because I believe a lot of people see something that's wrong, see something's dangerous, and because they don't want to hurt somebody's feelings, they don't actually say what the Lord's saying. So I believe it's twofold. I believe, one, there needs to be a boldness that raises up in God's people. But I also believe that there should be a, I, I believe we can help, help edge that on by welcoming correction. Does that make sense? I said that a spiritual father exhorts his children. Um, that word exhorts just means to encourage or urge them to pursue wise counsel and action. This goes hand in hand with what I was just talking about, right? Uh, the exhortation of a father um, goes hand in hand with encouragement, right? So, like, my son makes some bad decisions sometimes. Last night, he broke into his mom's chocolate stash <laughs> right before dinner, like, deliberately. And uh, he knew that he wasn't supposed to have any, right? Like, that was something, like, we had just told him, no treats, buddy. It's dinner time. And he, he's... He knows that he's not supposed to do that. But last night, he broke in, busted open a chocolate orange, and I caught him, like, fistfuls of chocolate in his mouth. And he just, he looked at me, and he's like, I'm in trouble, aren't I? And, of course, I gave him a spanking, took the chocolate away, sat him down in timeout. He's like, I'm like, buddy, you're in trouble. No, I'm not in trouble, Daddy. I'm not in trouble. Yes, you are. <laughs> nice try, kid. But, no, you are. And so there was discipline that took place, but I also sat and I encouraged him to make better choices too. I know that at the end of that rebuke, at the end of that discipline, right, I know that he left knowing that I loved him, knowing that I cared about him, 
and knowing that, and I encouraged him to make better decisions. And he felt empowered. So I, so I literally asked him, so next time, can you make a better decision? He's like, yeah, daddy so what are you going to do? I'm not going to eat mommy's treats anymore. <laughs> it's good, right? But there's this exhortation. So it, it, it's more than just like telling somebody that there's, they're wrong, right? Spiritual father, anybody can tell somebody that they're wrong. But it takes a father to come in and encourage someone to do better, right? I love this. You see, a spiritual father sets an example for his children. Right? We, we read about it earlier in 1 Corinthians 4. But Paul, Paul very plainly said, be an imitator of me. And then he sends his spiritual son, Timothy, right? Saying, he's going to show you how I do it. So Timothy is going to imitate me in such a way that it's closely going to resemble me. Now imitate him. Right? That's, that's a crazy thing to think of, like the weight that Paul places on those words, do what I do, basically. If you do what I do, you're going to be okay. Friends, I want to live my life with such consistency, with such intentionality, with such passion in pursuit of Jesus that I can effectively tell you, if you do what I'm doing, you're going to be okay. That's scary. That's a scary weight of responsibility when I think about what Paul's saying here, Right? But we, as men and women of God, as ones that God wants to raise up as spiritual mothers and fathers to a generation, we need to live our lives in such consistency, in such a way that we're saying, if you do what I do, you're going to be okay. Whoa. My son loves to imitate everything that I do. Right? Oh, sorry. I thought my wife was looking at me. She's taking notes. But <laughs> I looked at her and I was like, oh. But without fail, like, there's, and it melts my heart. Like, he just wants to do what I'm doing, like, all the time. And sometimes I like to drink orange juice, and we don't let him drink orange juice. And it's so confusing for him when I'm drinking a glass of orange juice in the morning, and we give him water. And, <laughs> and he's like, but Daddy-O has orange juice? Like, just, just trust me, I know best. You know, it's one of those examples of, my son wanting to do what I do <laughs> all the time, right? You're like, wow, what kind of sick and twisted father are you that you don't give your son juice? You don't know my kid on juice, okay? <laughs> Hold your judgment and your reservation for yourself, okay? <laughs> if you want to watch him sometime and give him some juice, go for it. Be my guest. But, right, it's about modeling. It's this... It's this aspect of a life pattern that we're to live our lives in such a way that models Christ, that other people can model us. And so a spiritual father sets an example for his children, lives by example. Um, back in 1 Corinthians 4, we read verses 18 through 21. There's also an aspect of discipline that comes with being a spiritual father, right? This goes back to what we talked about, the warning right at the beginning, but embracing a rebuke from a spiritual father, <laughs> but also there is discipline that exists. But I love the way that Paul talks about his discipline here. Wow, um, I am not in the right, <laughs> right passage of Scripture. <laughs> Verse 
in verse 14, it says, I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I have sent to you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere and in every church. Now read this. He says, some of you have become arrogant as if I were not coming to you. But I will come to you very soon if the Lord is willing. And then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but with what power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. Verse 21, what do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a rod of discipline or shall I come in love with a gentle spirit? I love this because Paul is talking here that you can come with a rod or he can walk with love and a gentle spirit, but there's still correction that's going to take place. And a spiritual father knows that love and correction um, comes uh, that correction comes best with love and a gentle spirit. But there's also sometimes a time for a rod. <laughs> we, we look at Paul and his discipline when it comes to the church in Corinth. He is firm, but he always carries himself with love and a gentle spirit. And I believe that that's true for us as spiritual mothers and spiritual fathers, that there, we need to be able to give correction in love and a gentle spirit. Amen? The last thing I want to talk about is a promise. Uh, we read about it at the very end of the Old Testament, right? Malachi chapter 4. You're familiar probably with the passage, but we know that the, the book closes, right? And God's silent for hundreds of years before the coming of Jesus with these words that he would send the prophet Elijah, right? Before the great and terrible day of the Lord. That he would turn the hearts of the father to the children, Fathers to the children and the children to their fathers, lest he'd come and strike the land with a curse. Friends, I'm saying all this because I believe what God has in store for us in this next season, what I believe God is doing here as a church, what he has established for us in the year 2020, is going to be a beautiful collaboration between those that are new to faith with fresh passion and zeal for the Lord and those that have walked with Jesus for many years. And we're going to see the wisdom. We're going to see spiritual fathers raised up. We're going to see the experiences that many of us have walked through uh, serve as fuel and serve as a catalyst for those that are new to the faith to propel the gospel forth in power. It's, it's, it's a combined effort. And I, 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 I say it a lot. I feel like I've said it a lot. But we need every single one of you on board. I need every single one of you as part of this church on board with what God's doing. None of you are disqualified. Some of you might feel like maybe you've missed your prime. You've missed your mark. God can't use you. Or you've settled into uh, a routine, you know, you've, your identity is CEO or your identity is, you know, business owner. Your identity is a father or a mother or a teacher or these things. And you know what? God's just going to, he's going to get a little bit of my time on Sundays and I'm going to give him what I can throughout the week. I'm letting you know we need you all in. For what God's doing in this season, we need Every single person, every single generation represented 
represented well because God's not going to bring revival with the youth. Sorry to, if you thought that was God's bailout plan because you missed what God was asking you to do, I'm sorry. That's not the case. God's going to bring revival to his church without restriction <laughs> on how old or how young they are. That's why we pray when we do have kids' church. Kelsey is at a conference. She's on her way back. Um, but <laughs> that's why we pray for our young people every single Sunday that God would move and we don't believe in a junior Holy Spirit. I also don't believe in a senior Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? It's the same Holy Spirit that empowers his church and encourages us and prompts us to action. So in review, I realize this is a weird way to read this story probably. But I look at the story of, of Herod here, killing children, and the role of Joseph <laughs> here with the birth of Jesus as a model for what we're going to be doing in 2020. I look at it as God starting something new. I see people coming to know Jesus. I see people growing in their faith. And it's the beginning stages. They're making, they're, they're making small decisions to grow in love with Jesus. And the need for that to foster into maturity is going to be associated, not the need, the, the ability for that to be fostered into maturity is going to come when men and women are willing to be inconvenienced and come alongside and guard and tender what God's doing in its infancy that it will reach maturity. So God's going to raise up spiritual mothers and fathers to have intentionality behind their actions, to be a little inconvenienced, to see what God's just beginning to start come full bloom into a wild moving of his spirit. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Our ministry is made possible entirely by the faithful generosity of people just like you. If you were blessed by this message and would like to partner with what the Lord is doing in Pagosa Springs, visit us online at www.opendoorpagosa.com. Here you can give, see our service times, and stay connected with Open Door Church. We hope to see you soon.